How many of you last evening thought, it's daylight savings time. I bet I can get away with not going to church tomorrow and blame it on that. Who thought it for a split second? Really? I'm the only guy who thought that? Oh, I could sleep in and blame it on that? Come on. All of you? All of none? Nobody thought that. Well, we need to preach online today. I don't know. Really? Well, we know where that's everyone else is at home sleeping. Well, that'll be the story next week. So, well, uh, you know, I'm not Pastor Q. For those of you who thought Pastor Q was going to be here, he's not. I'm here. Uh, Pastor Q is um, a church planner. In fact, we planted this church, planted Pastor Q in the Pilsen neighborhood of Chicago. Uh, we were meant to do a pulpit swap this week, and that's we're going to bring this wooden pulpit to his place, and he's going to bring his wooden pulpit, or just some variety, swap up pulpits. No, he was going to come here and preach, and I was going to go there. Uh, some things needed to be worked out. It, it didn't work out for him, so we're going to swap next weekend. Okay, so he'll be here, and I'll be there, right? Okay, for those of you who are visiting us today, I want to give you a brief heads up that... Uh, we are, in fact, in the season of Lent. Uh, Lent is a 40-day season. It's actually 46 days. We don't count Sundays because Sundays are days that we always celebrate uh, the resurre- our resurrected Savior. So during those 40 days, uh, we remember that Christ withdrew into the wilderness. Uh, Christ uh, fasted. Uh, Christ prayed. He sought the Lord. He defeated the enemy's temptations. And so during the season of Lent, we look deep within ourselves a deep spiritual introspection. We take, we take stock of our spiritual lives. Where am I? Who am I? Do I trust in Christ? That sort of thing. And Lent is often marked by giving up. In fact, it's fasting. We, we give up. Uh, uh, truthfully, that's one of our goals for 2013 as a church here at Christian Fellowship is that we would pursue the Lord in fasting. The idea is that you give up something, you put down the Xbox, right? Let go of the chocolate sweets, whatever it might be, and you spend that time Uh, drawing close to the Lord in prayer. So if you're fasting food, instead of thinking about a Big Mac, Big Mac, Big Mac, Big Mac, you start think, you start seek the Lord in prayer. So we're going to be looking, while those things are great, uh, and certainly some of us need to recognize that there are idols in our lives, and it helps release our grip on those idols, we're going to look at things that have eternal significance. And so we're working through the book of John, and we're going to see that there are things that Christ Quite honestly, when we understand who he is, and when we understand our identity in Christ, we're compelled to give up certain things. And this morning, we're going to look at giving up greatness. And so we'll be in John chapter 13. All of you are probably already there. So John, as we've talked about in the past, the Gospel of John, written by John, a cousin of Jesus, a brother of James, son of Zebedee, one of the 12 disciples, very unique Gospel account. Um, I, I think... In my opinion, it's my favorite gospel. It really focuses in on the ministry of Christ. And so uh, today, John is going to, re- he's recorded the account of Christ washing the disciples' feet. Okay? Let's go ahead and read our text. Will you join with me? Chapter 13, verses 1 through 20. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands 
and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them on the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so am I. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I've chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who, he who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. This is the word of God. Join me in prayer, please. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do praise you so very much that you've revealed yourself in Scripture, in your holy word, and you've also revealed yourself to us in Christ Jesus. Lord, there, there is no doubt that there are some among us this morning who are weary, who are tired, who feel like throwing the towel in. Uh, we've had difficult weeks filled with pains and aches and even some of us loss. Many of us are in need of encouragement. Lord, as we hear from you today, would you sweetly and lovingly minister to our souls? May we leave today with a greater understanding of just how truly great you are. May our hearts be expanded. May our necks be loosened. May our souls be satisfied in you. We commit ourselves our attention, our minds, our hearts, and this text and time to you. And we ask that your will would be done in the glorious and precious name of the true great one, Jesus Christ. Amen. So my desire this morning is that as we navigate through the richness of this text, the rich waters of Scripture, Scripture says that this is living and active. God's word. It's sharper than a double-edged sword is what Scripture tells us in reference to God's word. So my prayer is that we would discover our perceived greatness, okay, 
Your perceived greatness, my perceived greatness, is nothing in comparison to Christ's true greatness. Our perceived greatness is nothing compared to Christ's true greatness. And so what do I mean when I'm talking about perceived greatness? Here's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about pride. At a very basic level, pride is having a high or exaggerated opinion of one's importance or superiority. You see, we think we're greater than what we are. We have this exaggerated view of our importance. This is pride. This is a, um, this is a perceived greatness. We think too highly of ourselves. Man has never been guilty of thinking too lowly of himself. Man is always guilty of thinking too highly of himself. Okay? It's only a matter of time for most of us, or all of us, or I would say all of mankind, when, when perhaps we get a little bit of wealth, a little bit of fame, a little bit of recognition, a little bit of something, our heads swell up. And before you know it, we think too highly of ourselves. We think that we are superior, that we are great. So as I said, man's problem has never been that he thinks too lowly for, of himself. In fact, from the garden, man has had a false understanding of his superiority. In fact, Adam and Eve, their sin was that pride that they wanted to be like God and that they disobeyed God. So in our text today, we're going to see that Jesus is the true great one. And in seeing that Jesus is the true great one, and our, our perceived greatness is just totally demolished, we're going to see that Christ shows us his love. Okay? This text, it, it clearly talks about Jesus washing feet. But in it, we're going to see that Christ is showing his love. He's showing his mission, why he came here. And he's showing his salvation. We have a perceived greatness, fake and phony. Christ is true and real. And he's going to show us his love, his mission, and his salvation. Before we start this text, we'll, let's look at the first verse here. I think John lays a beautiful foundation by which the rest of this passage is unpacked. Verse 1, now before the father, I'm sorry, before the feast of the Passover, when the Jews knew, having a hard time here, let's start again. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, to depart out of this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end, even to the very end. Throughout all the gospel, Jesus is constantly saying, my time is not at hand. It's not yet. It's not yet. And what does he mean my time is at hand? He's in this upper room. He's with the disciples. This is the last meal he would have with them. Moments from now, Judas will get up from the table after having shared bread with Christ and he will betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. So Jesus knows, my time is at hand. It's about to go down. He knows what's going to happen. He's not oblivious to it. He knows that very soon, hours from now, this is thought to have been around Thursday night. There's some discrepancy. This could be Wednesday. It could be Thursday. Those who think this is Wednesday think so because the lambs, the Paschal lambs that were slaughtered, for Passover, we're slaughtered at Thursday evening. And so many people who believe the Last Supper took place on Wednesday, they believe that because they believe that Christ was slaughtered when the rest of the lambs were slaughtered because he is our sacrifice, our spotless lamb. Nonetheless, many believe this is Thursday night and Jesus would be 
crucified Friday morning. So that's where we're at, okay? Jesus is with his disciples for the very last time, sharing a very intimate meal, okay? Just a quick note. How many of you refer to the last meal of the day as supper? This service, we've got three. I know Lucas from the first service. We've got four of you. Maybe there's five. Somebody's not five, six. Who calls the last meal dinner? Who's a dinner? I'm a dinner guy. Well, the text says supper, so forgive me. I'm going to probably say dinner. I, I did the first service quite a bit. Dinner, supper, okay? So where do we find ourselves here? Um, we're in this upper room. Jesus is shortly going to be uh, betrayed. And let's go to verse 3 and see what the text tells us. Jump ahead to verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. Back it up. Verse 2. How's verse 2 start? During supper. Verse 4 starts, he rose from supper. What is going on here? Jesus, during dinner, there we go, see, during supper, rose from supper. And what did he do? The latter part of verse 4. And he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. This is strange. Let me tell you why this is strange. If I invited you over to my house, December, January, February, and during dinner, I said, hey, can I take your coat for you? You said, well, wait a minute. That happens upon entry. You're like a half an hour too late, Dave. Here Jesus is getting up during dinner, doing something that should have been done upon entry to that room, that upper room, right? Second floor, hanging out with the disciples. He gets up and does something that should have been done. Now, why does Jesus wash the feet during supper? You have to understand there's no running, there's no running tap water. You know what I'm saying? There's no water softener probably in, in the house anywhere. There, there, there's... No bathroom. There, there's a bowl of water. His hands are already clean. And now he's going to dirty them by getting up to wash feet. You see, here's what we need to know. First of all, number one, that Jesus, for some reason, didn't just forget who he was. Oh, I'm a slave. I'll wash everyone's feet. It just said he knows who he is. Verse 3, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. He is the Son of God. He has control of all things. He's come from God, and he knows he's about to go back to God. Did he just forget? Let me get up and wash some feet like a slave would do? Let me tell you this. Here's how despised washing feet was. A Jewish slave didn't have to do it. You couldn't force him. Jewish slaves did not have to wash feet. Only a Gentile slave, because it was the lowliest of lowliest things to do. So most likely the reason that their feet hadn't been washed prior to dinner is because there wasn't a Gentile slave in the upper room, and it was beneath all of them. We're thinking, what's the big deal here? Washing feet. Well, their cultures, and that time and even now is not like ours. There's no foot fetish going on here. My little boy Abner is five and a half. Oh, he's got cute feet. We talk all the time about feet, and she's got cute feet, pretty feet, and this feet, and that feet. Some of us say, ew, nasty feet. That's not what's going on here. 
Jesus hasn't hit up, he has not hit up bad, bed, bath, and beyond. Say that really fast a few times. He hasn't picked up some smelly ointment, some Epsom salt. You know what I'm saying? It's none of that going on here. You got dirty, funky feet that are walking in dirt and mud and in animal feces. And you walk in the house. You think about it now. How many of you take your shoes off when you walk in the house? What if you're just covered in mud and dirt? Can you imagine just sitting at your table or reclining on, on your furniture with feet covered in filth? I just doesn't feel good to me. It doesn't even think. Just think about it for a second. Let it sit in, right? So a Gentile slave would wash the feet. You just feel good. You feel refreshed, man. feels good. But there was no Gentile slave. Let's, let's move forward. Well, before we turn to Luke, Luke is going to give us a perspective on the Last uh, Supper. Luke records this account as well. But before you do, just so we understand what exactly is going on here, uh, years ago when I was in the military and I went to the Middle East, we had to take some sort of like a cultural class, and we had to learn a lot about Mideastern culture. And one of the things we we're instructed to do is never to show you the bottom of your foot to someone. Never. In fact, most guys sit and they cross their legs. But to do that, whomever might walk by or see the bottom of your foot was to tell them you're beneath me. You are dirt. You are scum. You are filth. You are the lowest of the low. That's the lowest of the low below me. And it's no different today. It was the same thing in that culture, the same thing now. How many of you remember in 2003, the Iraq war had just started? Remember this big statue of Saddam? The army soldiers helped, helped pull it down. Remember this? The Iraqis were surrounded by it. They were cheering. It, 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 it got picked up by every media outlet. Does anybody remember that? Do you remember what the Iraqis were doing to that statue after it got tore down? Anyone? Yes, they had taken their shoes off, and they were either throwing them or they were hitting Saddam's face with it to say, you're filth, you're garbage, you're beneath me, you're below me. This is a very important thing that's taking place here. Okay, this is not a cute little, we're going to get out the camera and do a photo shoot of your feet. This is nasty, dirty, filthy. The lowest of all people washed feet. Let's turn to Luke. Let's turn to the Gospel of Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's just before John. Luke chapter 22, verses 24 through 27 is going to give us some perspective. This is Luke. Luke's a physician. He re records his gospel account like a physician. Very, very detailed, very precise. Uh, here we are. We're at the very table. Verse 24, chapter 22. A dispute also arose among them as to which one of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become the youngest and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, the one who reclines at the table or one who serves. It is not the one who reclines at the table. It is the one who serves. But the one, but I am the one among you as one who serves. Reclining at the table isn't, isn't who's greater. These guys know that Jesus is the Son of God. 
His time is at hand. Hours from now, he will hang on a Roman cross. He will stand before the Sanhedrin, Jewish religious thugs, and they will find him guilty for breaking the law of Moses. He will stand before Roman officials, and ultimately he will hang on a Roman cross. And here's 12 dudes at the table with the Son of God arguing about who is greater. You see the perceived greatness? You see it? There's the true great one. And these 12 dudes are reclining at the table. Oh, no, I'm greater. No, I'm the man. Who is greater? That's that perceived greatness I'm talking about. We do the very thing. We do the very thing. We think too highly of ourselves. And so Jesus shows them what true greatness is. He says, it's not the one who reclines at the table. It's the one who gets up and serves. That's true greatness. And so he takes the form of a slave and he washes their feet. He washes their feet at the last supper. Jesus is the true great one. Galatians tells us if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And we, like the disciples, most definitely deceive ourselves. We think too highly of ourselves. Our heads get away from us. And we sit at the table of Christ and we argue about who is greatest. Jesus is the true great one. And he washes feet. Now verses 5 through 11 record that foot washing. Jesus begins washing feet and then something happens with Peter there. We will go back to that. Verse 12 Jesus asks the disciples if they understand what he's done for them. Let's take a look. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done for you? Fast forward, verse 15. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Jesus is setting a clear example. Very simple. This is what True greatness is, it's me, it's Christ, it's to serve, it's to be humble. He's teaching them about serving. He's teaching them about servanthood. He's teaching them about humility. And he's teaching us what it means to serve. But Christ also communicates three things. On top of the foot washing, this sort of a surface level, but if we dive deeper, there's, there's three other things, I think, that are taking place here. Jesus shows the disciples his love. He shows them his mission, why he's here, and he shows them his salvation. You see, Jesus shows his love because the true great one loves his disciples. He tells us this is what love is. If we truly love each other, we'll serve each other, is what Jesus is telling us. We'll lay down our pride, we'll let go of that perceived greatness, we're, not, we're going to realize we are not as high as we think we are. Humble ourselves. We'll serve. We'll love one another. He tells them, do this to each other. Okay, he's saying, wash feet. This is what Jesus is saying, wash feet. So, and there are many who believe that there are three ordinances in the church, baptism, communion, and foot washing. Uh, in general, Orthodox Christianity holds to two, and that's baptism by water and uh, communion. Jesus, Jesus is not just specifically talking about carrying around buckets of water, and every time you come into my house, I'm going to tell you this, if you come into my house, I'm not going to wash your feet. 
Let me see the bathroom's over there to the left. There's towels hanging. Go for it. Moreover, if you come in my house and you need to wash your feet, I'm thinking, what is really happening here? What is going on? Just can you imagine just showing up and, hey, I'll be right back. When's dinner start? Okay, I'm going to go wash my feet. Jesus is talking about serving. Remember, he takes the form of a Gentile slave and does the lowliest of things. The highest of all beings does the lowliest of things. And he shows us what love is. He shows us that love is serving one another. And he tells us to serve each other. So what does that look like for us? It means helping out a brother or sister in Christ. It means going over and shoveling snow. It means finding ways to serve and help. It means making meals for someone when their loved one passes away. It means helping the, the widows and the orphans. It means adopting. It means saving a child from being aborted by adopting that child. Does your pro-life status end at your bumper sticker? How far does it really go? It means serving. Nothing's above you. And it dawned me after the end of the first service, towards the end, I was standing over here, and God just kind of hit me upside the head. I feel like most of the time, either I hit myself upside the head because I realize that I'm an idiot, or God does it through the power of his Holy Spirit. And I thought, wow, I had a real practical example of this. Uh, This week was a busy week for me. Uh, As you know, Richard Moore, he lost a loved one. And so I had to... I performed the funeral and so on. So I didn't get to my sermon preparation until Thursday. And that's not really good for me. You know, I like to have some time. And so I finally, we got a babysitter. I'm over, I'm going to go to Starbucks up on Kedzie, just north of like Montrose. I think it's Wilson. There, Wilson and Kedzie. And I thought, no, I'll get a McDonald's. You know, um, my wife, she, she doesn't have to know. I'm just going to get a Big Mac meal. So I went in there, I ordered my Big Mac meal, I sat down, there's too much sauce on it. It's Big Mac sauce and this beard, they don't go together. I took one big bite of it, and there's a guy right here, right here, sauce, sandwich, dripping. He's here. Not over here, not backing up a little bit, he's in my face. And I'm saying, as I'm cleaning myself up, back up, back up. He's standing, I'm sitting, back up. That's what I said very sternly, back up. He took a half a step back. I said, back up. And he started talking to me. He's got some change in his hand. And I said, wait, wait. I'm wiping my face here. You know what I'm saying? Too much sauce. A little, little bit of sauce is good. When that middle piece of bread starts flying across the room, too, too much sauce is the reason why it's the number one meal. It's number one. And I said, what's your, I said, what's your name? He said, Keith, and I said it very sharply, what's your name? I was a little bit perturbed. I thought, hey, there's probably proper etiquette when you're hitting somebody up for money, and that is to stand out the proper distance, wait, pause, don't wait till they're shoving a Big Mac in, and I was a little bit bothered by it. I said, what's your name? He said, Keith, and I said, Keith, sit down, just like that, and he sat down. I said, Keith, what do you want? And he said, he was mumbling about he just doesn't have enough to get a fish sandwich, I said, okay, is that what you want? He said, well, maybe a chicken sandwich. I said, Keith, I'm going to buy you lunch. What do you want? He said, well, I guess I wouldn't mind what you have, a Big Mac meal. Let's do it. I left my tray there, I got my bag, and we went up. And since I just used my card, McDonald's, the machine thought maybe it was stolen. So I had to swipe it like five times. I'm frustrated. But I remember my first thought when he walked up. I knew exactly what was going on because I've probably heard it all. 
my thought was, I'm too great for this. I got things to be doing. I need to prepare my sermon. And this dude wants a Big Mac. And quickly, I realized I was at the table arguing about who was the greatest when God had brought this dude, Keith, in, 46 years old, four children, 16 to 24, one of them, 16, who's pregnant. Two of his children don't even know he's on the street. God brought this man in before me, and I had the opportunity to humbly serve him. And I was too worried about my sermon. And so I repented for that, and we sat, and we talked, and I shared the gospel with him that his good deeds are what God wants. Did you know that? That there are better people than you and me than in hell? Good. There's a lot of good people in hell. God wants us to trust the goodness of Christ. That's the gospel. Trust the goodness of Christ. He doesn't want your works. He wants Christ's work. He wants you to trust in that. That's the gospel. And so these are very real practical opportunities. This is what I'm talking about. When we think too highly, perceive greatness. We think too highly of her. I don't have time for that. Or someone else can do that. Or I'm not Mother Teresa. You know, orphanage, yeah, that's great. Adoption, that's great. Some pe- God gifts some people for that. We make all sorts of excuses, and we go about with our perceived greatness thinking too highly of ourselves. Jesus shows us what love is. It means to serve brothers and sisters. But it also means to serve the lost. Did you know that Jesus actually washes Judas' feet? And he says in here, he tells Peter that Peter's clean. He says, but not all of you are clean. And he says he knows that Judas is going to betray him, but yet he washes Judas' feet. And did you know in the garden that when Judas shows up with a bunch of thugs to get Jesus, you remember his sign, how he would tell the crowd who Jesus was, all these thugs? He says, the one I kiss. And do you know what Christ's response was to him when Judas walks up? The scripture tells us Jesus said, friend. Do what you've come to do. 30 pieces of silver, and he calls him friend, and he washes his feet here. So we serve the body of Christ, yes, but we also serve those who don't know Christ. And guess what? If you're not in Christ, you're a Judas. You betray Christ. But we serve both the lost and we serve the body of Christ. And then Jesus shows his mission. Yes, he washes feet, but he shows us his mission. He shows us that he is the true great one. He washes feet, but he shows us the gospel. This is what Philippians 2 tells us, that Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, a foot washer, and being made in the likeness of men. See, Jesus is that bondservant here. Jesus rose from supper as he had risen from his heavenly throne. Jesus laid aside his garments there at the table as he had laid aside his heavenly glory. Jesus wrapped himself with a towel, the mark of a servant, just as in the incarnation when he took the form of a servant and wrapped himself in flesh. He's showing them This is my mission. This is the gospel. That I did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But that Christ humbled himself. And here he humbled himself to the lowliest of all. Having wrapped himself in human flesh. This is his mission. 
And then Christ shows his salvation. Let's look at verses 6 through 9. This is when Jesus comes to wash Peter's feet. So the servant's robe, Jesus took out his outer garment robe, right? He puts on the slave's garb. It would have been wrapped around his waist, probably very long, and then it went over the shoulder. And so as he knelt down, he could dry feet with it. He gets to Peter. Now it's understood that as they reclined at this table, it probably wasn't a table like we think of a table, very high. It's probably very low. And they would have been laying on their left side, leaning on their left arm, left elbow, something like that. And he says, no way. No way. Now, mind you, this is the guy who was just arguing about. He was one of the 12 arguing about who's the greatest. But he understands that Jesus is the greatest. No way. You, no way. You're the master. You're not washing my feet. Can you picture this? He's pulling his feet up. You know when somebody's going to vacuum below you at home? And you're sitting on a chair. You lift your feet up. There's Peter. No, 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 no way. And Jesus says to Peter, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Now, share in Old Testament, New Testament, it has to do with the inheritance. Okay, the Israelites, when they entered the land of Canaan, they got a share except for uh, uh, the tribe of Levi. In the New Testament, when it refers to having a share of Christ, it's talking about being with Christ in eternity or not being with him in eternity, being separated. So he's saying to Peter, if I don't do this, you don't have a share with me. And now the word in Greek that Peter uses for wash is called nipto. Sam will probably check this later. He's a Greek stud. John uses this word. It has a dual meaning, nipto. It means to wash feet, yes, but it also means to cleanse of sin. Here's what Jesus is saying to Peter. If I do not cleanse your sins, if I do not wash away your sins, you cannot have fellowship with me. It's not going to happen. Do you remember a text from last week? Jesus says that because we're slaves to sin, we cannot remain in the Father's house. This is what he's saying. If I don't wash your sins, you cannot have fellowship with me. We do not belong to Jesus unless he's washed us of his sin. Praise God that Jesus washes us. Is there an amen in here today? Amen. Praise God that he washes us. Revelation 21 tells us that nothing unclean will enter the new Jerusalem. It is only those who have been declared righteous in Jesus. See, that's 2 Corinthians 5.21. Most people know John 3.16. I think if you're going to memorize the scripture, you should probably pick up 2 Corinthians 5.21. That he, God, made him, Jesus, sin. He made him sin. Who knew no sin? He was sinless. He made him sin on the cross. So that in Jesus, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. So this is legal declaration. We sit in a court. I'm guilty. God, the judge, should hit the gavel and say, Dave, you're guilty. But instead, he says, not guilty because Christ takes our sin. He washes us. And the joy of our salvation, saints, is that Christ continues to wash us. Because we know, John says, if you say you don't sin anymore and in his epistle, 1 John, you're a liar. If you say it, you don't sin anymore, you're a liar. So we will sin as saints. But with God's spirit living in us, we have the ability to not sin. We can defeat temptation as Christ did in the wilderness. The beauty of the gospel is that Christ continues to wash us. He's faithful and just to forgive us is what scripture says. If we confess our sins, 
So when we go to Christ, he continues to wash us and continues to wash us. This is the joy of the gospel. So saints, what does this look like? It means husbands, serve your wives, be Christ to them, bleed out to them, die to them, give to them, serve to them. Wives, in biblical submission, love your husbands, encourage them, respect them, honor them. It means parents, love your children. Don't push them to anger. It means serve the body of Christ here in this building because the church is the people, not the steeple. So we come here, serve each other, work in the children's ministry, volunteer somewhere, serve somewhere. It's the mark of true growth in the life of a disciple is when you say, I want to wash feet. There's a fundamental problem if we're not washing feet, if we're not serving like Christ. We think too highly, too greatly of ourselves. So saints, humble yourselves. Serve each other. And for those of you who don't know Jesus, you are Judas. You betrayed Jesus, just like Judas did. But yet Christ washes Judas' feet, and he will wash you. He will wash you. Scripture says to call upon his name. With your mouth, call. With your heart, believe, and you will be saved. Like, I'm always thinking of a baby because we have a baby. A newborn baby cries out when it needs help. Would you cry out today if you don't need, if you need Christ, if you haven't been washed, if your soul is filthy, if your sin's stained, cry out to God today. Would you please, those of you who don't know Christ, Scripture says you're God's enemy, but in Christ you're adopted, you're his children. Call out that he might cleanse you. This is my prayer today that in this foot washing we would see the love of Christ on display, the mission of Christ on display, and that we would see salvation on display. And how does Peter respond? Then wash all of me. Yes, that is our prayer. Lord, wash all of us so that we might have a share in you, so that we might have fellowship with you, so that we might spend the present with you. You see, the eternity is icing on the cake. We live in a fallen, sinful world now. There is suffering. There is death. There is despair. There is dislike and disdain. The joy of the gospel is we have Jesus now because he became a servant. He wrapped himself in servant's clothing, skin, and he served us by hanging on a cross. That's the joy of the gospel is that we have Jesus now. He washes us clean now, and we're able to spend eternity with him. In just a moment, we're going to take communion. Communion is a wonderful time to remember that Christ has cleansed us, that he's washed us. So before you come this morning, my prayer would be that if you need Christ to cleanse you, if you don't know him, that you would call out to him and ask him to cleanse you. If you have unrepentant sin, that you might sit and stay and not worry about people seeing you walk up. Don't take it if, if you have sin that you're unwilling to deal with, if you're too prideful and you think too great of yourself. Come before the Lord and reconcile. Confess, repent. He's faithful and just to forgive you, and he will cleanse you of your sin. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you in Christ Jesus that you wash us, that you cleanse us. Lord, we're dirty, we're filthy. Scripture says that we're separated from you. It's only in Christ that we might be declared righteous. We praise you that in Christ 
you wash us, that you cleanse us, that you make us whole. Lord, our prayer is this morning that you would wash us, that you would make us new again. This is our prayer, Lord. Wash us in Christ's name we pray. Amen.